Welcome to the pen and the yod. This week's Torah portion is Kitavo. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshayamit Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about identity and memory. The Ultimate Jew, P.S. I read something that a rabbi in Philadelphia offered uh, in terms of this week's portion. Because in this week's portion, we have this scene that Moses is imagining. When the people are finally in the land of Israel, the land that was promised to Abraham and his descendants, that when they harvest their first fruits, and first fruits, by the way, differ from fall harvest. First fruits are things like barley and the very first that are um, harvested in the spring. That they are to take a basket of their first fruits, go to the temple, this is on Shavuot, and place that basket um, before the priest and say, my father was a wandering Aramean, came down to Egypt, few in numbers, and then the whole saga of the Jewish people, that God took us out of Egypt with a strong right arm. That speech is a powerful one, and it really becomes the body of the Haggadah. But what this rabbi pondered was, what if at every bar mitzvah, the bar bat mitzvah had to take the first 10 bar bat mitzvah gifts they received, place it in a basket on a table on the bima, on the stage in the synagogue, and begin their bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah talk by saying, my great-grandfather came from Poland. He left there because of pogroms and anti-Semitism. He came to this country and he made a home in Douglas Park, on Douglas Boulevard. And then he moved from there. And my parents came from Rogers Park and ultimately to Lakeview. And here I am, a bar mitzvah, and I am grateful to them. And I'm grateful for God for all I have. Talk about a way of identifying yourself and to say who you are really. I think it's a really fascinating and very clever idea about driving home the idea of the power of your story. I think that's such a great idea and such a great lesson. And as you may recall from my daughter's bat mitzvah, I was really frustrated after watching a bunch of these bar and bat mitzvahs for her peers that the kids thought it was all about them. And, uh, you know, the parties are a great celebration and the kids have a lot of fun. But to me, the most beautiful part of it was knowing that my daughter was doing something that my great, great grandparents did. And I wanted her to understand a little bit more of that connection and to appreciate it. And I was desperate for ideas for how we could do that. And, um, Jen and I came up with the idea of having her make a little documentary to go along with, you know, the famous montage that every kid shows at their, at their bat mitzvah, um, where it's pictures of baby photos, you know, baby photos and, and videos of their whole life. And again, it's like, is, this is the greatest kid ever born. So I challenged my daughter to make a documentary about something other than herself, about something to do with Judaism. And, um, she asked her grandparents and her parents and her friends, you know, what Judaism meant to them. And she made a little documentaries. And I was just thrilled that, that she at least thought about something other than herself on this day. But to me, that lineage that you're talking about, understanding where we come from and knowing that our successes, our moments of glory are built on the backs of those who came before us is, is so important. And it's, it's hard to drill that into a, even an adult's head. Uh, you know, we're, we're all 
self-centered and it's even harder to drill it into a kid's head. So I really like what you're suggesting. The reality is, is that we are losing our sense of history of those who came before us. And in an age when the world seems to stop and start in the moment, that loss of perspective, I think, uh, can be very, very challenging and very negative. But for Judaism, uh, where are we without memory? Right? I think that of any religion, Judaism is probably the most focused on memory. There's a very famous historian now, Yosef Chaim Yerushalmi. And he once said, only in Israel and nowhere else is the injunction to remember felt as a religious imperative to an entire people. That's a powerful idea because not only are we remembering our own family history, but here in Kitavo, we're also commanded to overlay our own history onto our people's history. In the end of the day, not only gives us a sense of who we are, but it also gives us a sense of obligation to serve our own family, but also our wider family and our people. And I'd be hard-pressed to see where we're teaching that today. It's true. And, and as somebody who writes books about history, um, I can tell you it's frustrating at times. People don't seem to to want to know about the past, even when it's not that far behind them. I'll confess that I often don't know much about my own past. I just discovered last week that um, my great-grandmother died in the 1918 flu pandemic, and I didn't know that. And my mom just told me this. And my mom and dad have been doing this thing. It's called StoryWorth. If you check it out on online, you can send your anybody you want, but I'm doing it with my parents. You send them a question every week. And they write the answers at whatever length they want. And then at the end of the year, if they want to, they can compile it in a book. So um, sometimes the, the, you know, the computer suggests a question for them, but more often I suggest the question. And they've been basically, you know, writing their life story and calling up old memories. And my mom told me about the influenza um, pandemic. And, you know, it's, it's startling to me to realize that my mom, her grandparents were born in like the 1870s in, in Poland and in Austria. And that's not that long ago. I met some of these people, uh, when I was a little kid. So the history is right there. We just sometimes don't even bother to, to think about it. Like, how could I have not known some of these things? It's really troubling sometimes. It is troubling. And part of this, and I look to you because you're writing right now, you're working on a, a biography of Martin Luther King Jr. And the history that you need to really appreciate and the way of the world as it was in a particular age is paramount. And you can't really understand yourself in the present unless you can kind of see how you got to be and where you are. And it just feels as though we are so far from this and so far from a real sense of where we are in a continuum. And how we are actually part of something larger than ourselves. It's what interesting. You... It ties into what we talked about last week about how um, sometimes our our individualism overwhelms everything else and we forget that we're part of a bigger community. We forget that we're part of history. We forget that there are people who live before us who experienced some of the same things we're experiencing. And uh, we live with these blinders on and, and we only think about ourselves. And we miss out on so many important lessons when we do that. But where would we learn them? I just want to kind of come back to what you're doing with your parents, which I think is really commendable. And I think a lot of people would be very interested in this and doing this within their own family. But there was a time not all that long ago, and perhaps because of the economic impact of the coronavirus, we may be seeing this again, 
where you would have multi-generational households living together. And when people are living together, they're much more likely to have longer conversations and share things and share stories, unless you're writing a, your child has to write a paper or prepare for a bat mitzvah. We are living in very small nuclear family units, especially in the Jewish community. We rarely see multi-generational families living together. And I think we, we lose something about our own sense of where we belong in the continuum by doing that. And and if you think about it, that's kind of a a new phenomenon in human history. People have been living together for generations and generations. The Talmud talks about the fact that parents would build a little room off of the home. Like it would be attached, but it was a separate room. And when their oldest son was married, he would move into the house and they would move into the back room. But they were all together. They were all surviving together, but they were all talking together and telling their stories. And I think that Part of that identity is really what it means to be a Jew. How do we identify with our own history? And part of that breakdown is also how do we relate to Israel and the history of Israel? And you know, all of that seems to be sort of a choice rather than an obligation. You're absolutely right. And if, if you weren't living in the same home as your grandparents, you were certainly likely to be at least in the same neighborhood. And uh, you'd be together for Shabbat dinners uh, every Shabbat. And sometimes, you know, more than just once a week, you would eat together every night. And you, you knew intimately, you know, the personalities and the behavior of your grandparents and aunts and uncles. And you took care of them when they got old. And it's very different now where we're living, you know, in the in our little silos and often, you know, hundreds or thousands of miles away from our parents. So it's it's a very different set of issues. And then the question is, how can you promote that kind of understanding of history? How can you you hear the voices of your elders? You have to work harder, I think, to get that in your life. I think you do. But I also think that part of learning your history with someone else is also managing the more uncomfortable parts of that history and forging a story together. And what I mean by that is that it forces us to accept the challenges that we have in families and make it part of our own story and figure out what do we remember? What do we forget? How do we live together as a family? It's an interesting issue. If you look at the portion, it begins, my father was a wandering American, and it talks about going down into Egypt and then God taking us out and then bringing us to this land. The thing that it leaves out is Sinai. It never mentions Mount Sinai. It never mentions receiving the Torah. We could talk about that on another occasion as to why that might be. But I think the reality is, is that memory, I think familial memory and national memory could be really selective. And that might not be a bad thing. Yeah, we remember what we need to remember and, and we bury some of the the difficult parts. That maybe that's why my grandmother never told me that her mother died in 1918, right? She 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 preferred just to give me this sunny picture of her childhood, but she was dealing with it. She just didn't feel like she needed to share that with her grandson. Or maybe there's a time and a place to tell that particular story. I'm not sure. But I go back to this notion that the fact that something happened doesn't mean that we need to remember it or we need to commit it to memory from generation to generation. I don't know if that's just creating a rosy picture. Or it's a way of focusing on what's really important and not allowing a difficult moment 
to make it impossible to go forward? Yeah, that's a really tricky question for someone like me. And, you know, I've talked to you about this many times. You know, I read books about people and I find myself in the position of judging, right? Like they, they did something that I have to deal with. And do I mention it in the book? How much do I uh, stress it in the book? You know, I don't want people to think that I'm that I'm deceiving them, that I'm leaving out these characters' flaws. Who am I to judge these people? So, you know, the reader should judge, but uh, nevertheless, I'm tasked with recording the facts and which facts go in and how much each of them should be emphasized. And if, if somebody had a moral failure, is it my responsibility to tell that part of their story? So you've written uh, a nationally recognized book on Muhammad Ali, and you're working on a book on Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, these are iconic figures. And yet they're like any other person. So they have flaws. They have moral lapses. What's the benefit of recording those moral lapses? I think there is a benefit. I think that if you show someone's flaws, you show that they're human. And if you show that they're human, you show that we can all aspire to the greatness that they achieved, that we are all imperfect and that you don't require your heroes to be perfect. If we did, nobody would step up and take that responsibility. Nobody would stand up and take the risks that, that they did. So I feel like it's challenging because you don't want to be seen as trying to take them down a notch. But if you're not honest about it, then they, they, they won't feel real. The characters won't feel real to the reader, and we won't be able to relate to them. You should be able to relate to Martin Luther King Jr., even though you may not be as brave or as uh, as eloquent. You should be able to relate to Muhammad Ali, even though few of us possess his physical gifts. None of us <laughs> really possess his physical gifts. But there are elements of their characters that we should relate to and we should aspire to, to meet up. I really like what you're saying. And I guess what I would add to it is that if I can appreciate the greatness of the person, then I can factor in the moral interest. But if you only look at that one piece of a person's life, especially Ali or King, then you're failing to appreciate them in the fullness of their life. And that's a loss not only for them, I think it, it does a disservice to their memory, but it also does a disservice to you. Look, I'll give you a different example. I think that when we were growing up, when we talked about Israel, we only received the rosiest understanding of Israel. Today, I think we pay a price for that. I think we need to appreciate the greatness of Israel, but we can also appreciate her flaws. And so we need to find a greater balance. But memory remains important. Memory is how we identify ourselves in the world. It's how we know who we are. And in the world in which we are living, that is less emphasized. And I think this idea that you had with your own child before her bat mitzvah, or this idea of, uh, that this rabbi in Philadelphia came up with, of bringing first fruits and then talking about your family story and contextualizing it, has a role today as well. Thanks for making the time, Jonathan. Thank you, Rabbi.